0: Find your place, if you will, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Um, And as you're turning there, uh, last time we we walked through James chapter 1 together, we were challenged to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Um, We said that when God speaks, he expects his word to change us, he expects obedience. When he gives, uh, when he plants a seed of his word in your heart, he expects it to bear fruit. In activity, in doing. and James chapter 1 in particular says that faith works. And what we're saying is uh, along with Galatians chapter 5, we, we find out that our faith works through love. That's what Galatians 5, 6 says. Our faith works out through love. But I want to ask you this morning, is the soil of your heart ready right now to receive the seed of the Word of God? Are, are you primed and ready Is your heart postured to say, okay, Lord, whatever you say to me, my answer is yes. Right in this moment, I want to give you an opportunity before we dig into His Word, I want to give you an opportunity to pray. And I want to encourage you to pray like this. So let's just just close your eyes for a moment. And uh, I just want to encourage you to pray like this. God, I know you are ready to speak to me. need to hear your voice today. And I'm ready to walk in faithful obedience. God, I'm holding nothing back. There are no uh, restrictions. If you say it, I will do it. Lord, please open my eyes to see you and my ears to hear you. Give me the faith to obey. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, if you've prayed that way, watch out. (laughs) Because the Lord's ready to talk. He's ready to tell you some incredible things. And I hope you're ready to walk it out, live it out. So James taught us last week about true religion. And what he said is true religion is this, that we care for widows and orphans. And in essence, what he's saying is, True religion, true faith, true love does stuff. It actually has activity, right? And so as a people, we don't, we don't want to be a people who gather and say we believe things that don't actually work out in our lives. So this week, I, I just love, man, I'm so fired up uh, as one of the pastors of this church to be shepherding a flock that says, hey, this week we're going to put our, our faith you know, not out on display for the world, but it's just going to work out of us. We're, we're sending some people across the world with the love of the gospel. And we're going to go to our neighbors and demonstrate the love of the gospel. That's awesome. So James teaches us that true love does stuff. Our question last week is, do you love others? Does your love, does your faith do things for others? So as I we, as we think through this, I'm just reminded of the story of the Good Samaritan in Scripture. in Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at it today. And um, you're probably comfortable in your seat. Sorry. Will you stand in honor of God's Word? Luke chapter 10. We're looking at verses 25 through 37. And as we walk through this text in a moment, we're just going to pull out some of the questions that are there because these are the questions that we all have in our hearts, okay? Luke chapter 10 verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, "Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And he said to him, "What is written in the law? How do you read it?" And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, He replies with a story. He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among some robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, so now Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Father, would you open our ears and eyes to see you, to hear from you, Lord, change us as a result of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so there's some questions in this passage that surface that all of us are asking. Um, Every religion on on the face of the planet um, attempts to answer these questions. These questions are uh, at the core of our existence. Like, we're not meant for just 70, 75, 80 years on this planet. We're meant for eternity that's what, how God has intended us. And so the very first question that every religion on the planet tries to answer is this. What must I do to have eternal life? What must I do? That's what this man asks. He says, what must I do to have eternal life? That's the beginning of a long conversation. That's the, um, the question for which Jesus is answering with the story of the Good Samaritan. So let's don't lose sight of that as we look to the story. Don't lose sight of the question that actually prompted it. The man, or Jesus, actually responds and says to a lawyer, so he he went right back to the lawyer with his question, asking him a question. What does the law say? How, How do you read it? What's your interpretation of what the law prescribes you must do? We might be tempted to think that Jesus is saying here, because twice in this passage, he says, do this and you will live. And then at the end of it, he says, you go and do likewise. We might would be tempted to think that this parable is all about um, how we live and what we should do. And there are some principles that we can apply there. But I want to uh, encourage you and, and tell you that it's not primarily about that. Um, Jesus is teaching much deeper than that. Jesus' teaching is usually in levels. There are layers to his teaching. One of the surface layers is obviously, hey, this is what real love looks like. Look at what the Samaritan did. That's what it means to really love your neighbor. That's a layer of his teaching, and we'll talk about that. The second most important layer is uh, is the answer to this first question. And you might be tempted to think that what Jesus is saying is, if you can live the law... You'll have life. And that's true. Except it's not. In the sense that it's impossible. And that is the very point Jesus is bringing to light. Is that the law we are unable to fulfill. The law doesn't give life. It exposes death. It exposes our insufficiency to live up to it. The point Jesus is making here is not, hey, do better, do better, do better. What he's saying is you could never do enough, but there is one who is better. And that's what we'll get to in a moment. Um, The law exposes a broken, sinful heart. That's what it's always done. When when God gave the law in the Old Testament, it wasn't a prescription for, for health. It was actually a description of sin, of brokenness. So religion, the difference between the religion and the gospel, and this is really important, okay? Because what sets Christianity apart from religions all over the world? Because I know some really nice Buddhists. Like I know some really good Hindu people who believe a different way. What they believe is what we would call religion. What we believe is different. We believe in a hope that's that's the gospel, and I want to I really um, dissect those two. Here's what religion says. You might want to write this down. I don't know if I put it in your notes. Yeah, I did. Religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. I obey, I do the law, therefore I am accepted by God. But the gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. Do we, do we feel the distinction? We're not obeying. We're not, we're not doing these things that we as a church are doing. We're not doing them in order to be accepted by God. We do these things. We serve the Lord. We work out our faith because we are accepted by God. It's sequence and it makes all the difference. One is enslaving. It's a bondage. And that's the, what we sung about. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Like I'm afraid, according to religion, that I'll never do enough. And that's exactly the point Jesus is making to this lawyer who thinks he can do enough. Jesus says, do that and you can live. And the thing about that statement is it's more condemning than it is promising. Would you agree? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Am I the only one in the room that feels a little bit divided in my loves? I I I don't obey that law perfectly. I don't. I want to desperately. But when I read that law, I'm a failure. This man in the story, this lawyer, he is too. That's the intent of the law is to expose our, our failing, our shortcoming. But then it's meant to point us to one who is better. So the gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. So I am accepted by the grace of God, therefore I obey. Religion equals ladder climbing. So religion means I'm going to climb this ladder, I'm going to do my best to get to God. And what ends up happening is people who are really good at climbing ladders, rule keeping people, people who are really good at rule keeping. I'm a rule bender. I don't know if you know that, but I'm a, I'm a rule bender. Uh, it's not a good attribute, it's just the truth. Um, but people who are really good at climbing that ladder get to the top and they feel super confident, but not very humble. They end up looking down at those who are not so good at it like, why can't you climb a ladder? And they try to motivate people with fear and guilt to come on up the ladder, what's wrong with you? That's not the gospel. Likewise, on the flip side of religion, those of us who are not good at climbing that ladder, because I'm not, when it comes to rules, I'm not a good keeper of them. I try, but I'm just, I fail. So I'm down at the bottom and here's my deal. I'm not super confident, but I'm, I'm pretty humble. I'm aware of my shortcomings. And I'm not bragging about my humility there. (laughs) That would be an ironic thing, wouldn't it? Um, People at the bottom of the ladder are usually humble because they see themselves at the bottom, but they have no confidence. The gospel wins the war of both. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For it is by grace that you are saved. It's not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. So it's not that you've climbed your way up a ladder. Remember, that's the, you know, Genesis eleven, Tower of Babel. What can I do to get to God? I'm going to build my tower, and get to God. And God looks down at us like, oh, come on. It's not about making your name great. It's about making my name great. The law and what Jesus is doing when He says to this lawyer, when He says you've answered correctly do this and live, he is evangelistically exposing this guy's need. I don't know if we know that, but in evangelism, before you can tell someone that they need Christ or that they want Christ, they have to know they need Him. Like need. Just remind you for a moment about the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus tells this woman at the well um, and she's there in the middle of the day because she's ashamed of her life and she goes in the middle of the day when no one else is going to be there and she draws water and then Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, give me some water and she's like, why are you talking to me? And he says to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water because the water that I have is living water and if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. You wouldn't, you'll never thirst again you know what she says she says give me that water so that i won't thirst and i won't have to come to this well anymore i want what you have jesus i want it and you know what he says where's your husband what a weird pivot in the conversation right can we just agree that was weird jesus just totally breaks from a conversation he's like "Mm, go get your husband And immediately she retreats into her shame bubble. And she says, I don't don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, that's true. Because you've had like five. And you're living with a man now who's not your husband. I want to ask you, what's the point of that pivot in the conversation with Jesus' evangelism? What's the point? The point is to take her from wanting what he has to offer... To needing Him as the source of life. The point is to expose her need. Like you don't just want all the good of the gospel. You actually need Him to survive. Not just survive, but thrive. So the point of the law here, love God, love neighbor, is not to say, not Jesus not saying, yeah, you can do that perfectly, so go and do it perfectly and you'll live. His point is to say, if you could do that perfectly you would live the man got the point because the next verse is he thought to himself hmm i think i love god pretty well there are some people i don't love really well so how do i how do i quantify this whole neighbor loving issue hmm jesus who is my neighbor? Just make it really clear for me. If I'm supposed to love um, if I'm supposed to love Jeff, I think I can handle that. If I'm supposed to love Val, I think I can handle that. If I'm supposed to love Blooster, I don't know. <laughs> right? I mean, that is exactly what this man is doing. He's like, tell me exactly who I'm supposed to love. Because there are some people that I totally can love. And there are others that are like, mm, I just I don't think I can do it. That's why Jesus tells him a story. Because this man was seeking to justify himself. So um, we've we've talked about what must I do to have eternal life. The second thing is what does God command? And his command is to love God and love neighbor. Notice that Jesus actually says um, you've answered correctly. So his point there is that's right. You've summarized the law. I mean, Jesus actually said those things in another place of the Scriptures. You're right. Love God, love neighbor. That is the command. And all we need is need. And so Jesus is exposing our need with this law. Now this man is seeking to justify himself. So Jesus tells a story. And in his story, he introduces three characters. It almost sounds a bit like a joke, you know. Uh, Hey, uh, uh, there's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. It almost sounds a bit like a joke, but it's not. If you were telling this story in uh, the Middle East in this day and age, and you said, let me tell you a story about a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan, the people listening would immediately presume the Samaritan is the villain and these other two guys are the heroes. But Jesus flips the script. He flips the script to show us what it means to be a neighbor. This man asked him, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered with, who proved to be a neighbor? So number three we're talking through is, who has proven to be a neighbor? What Jesus is illustrating is that sideways love Sideways love, neighbor love, makes tangible the intangible. So he's, he's taking the intangible love of God, right? This guy realizes that, hey, nobody can really determine. Nobody knows if I really love God with all my heart, mind, soul, strength. Nobody can really like assess that in my life because it's sort of between me and God. But this whole sideways love thing, this neighbor love thing, is very measurable. And Jesus illustrates that with a story. And He says, there's a man who was in need. And a priest walks by and passes by. Sees him and passes by. And the point Jesus is making is He had an opportunity to express tangible love... And he demonstrated that he's missing intangible love. I hope we see that. These things are interconnected. They're inseparable. This this sideways, tangible love is an indicator of vertical love. So... Of the three characters, the priest, Levite, and Samaritan, um, everybody would have assumed the Samaritans the villain and these other guys are the heroes. Um, they would have assumed that because the priest and the Levite are pious, respectable men. that They're leaders in their community. They, they represent a right relationship with God. The priest is the guy who's telling you what God says. He's the guy you go to for, for confession. He's the guy you go to to have a right relationship with God. The Levite is in charge of all the sacrificial systems. So he's the one who actually does the work of making you right with God in their day. Priest and Levite, it's, they seem to have this whole vertical love down pat. And what Jesus says is they might seem to have this thing down pat, but they're missing this. They're missing it. He's telling the story and he says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, I want you to notice that three times it uses that expression. Jesus says, when he saw him. And then the Levite, when he saw him. And then the Samaritan, when he saw him. That phrase is repeated so that we put them side by side by side. And what we see is that the people who um, everybody presumed had a right vertical relationship were missing it in the horizontal. The sideways neighbor kind of love. And the point Jesus is making, and I hope we get it, is that this love tells us about this love. 1 John is going to make that super clear. When he says, if any man says he loves God but hates his brother, he's a liar. So if we don't love neighbor, we don't love God. That's a a harsh but practical reality. I want to pick into this for just a minute and pull out some details. This man's love notice it can be proven it can be measurable and so Jesus gives some descriptions of neighbor love so neighbor love is and I'm gonna give you some descriptions from this passage because I think it's amazing when Jesus describes the Samaritan look with me if you will in verse 33 but a Samaritan as he journeyed he came to where he was the man of need he came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion now, that, that connects me back a couple of weeks to Stephen's message about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Love filled his heart. All right. Verse 34. When he, he went to him, and look at what he does. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Um, this, uh, this last week, I was at Chick-fil-A with my kids. Um. Hanging out with a friend, trying to just talk through some things. It's tough uh, to have lunch and, and have meaningful conversation with three children at Chick-fil-A. Just being real. Uh, and my girls are out in the, out in the playground. They're playing, and, and we're inside. We're talking. I'm looking at them through the glass, you know. And uh, in come my children. This place is packed. And my my girls are like, Daddy! Reagan's bleeding, and they're screaming. There's this. Bl- I was like, okay, 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 calm down. right? And they come running to me. There's blood everywhere, all over her knee, and uh, so I'm wearing white shorts, right? I'm wearing white shorts and some kind of light colored something shirt, and so Reagan comes running over. She's like, my knee, you know. She goes. I'm like, whoa, chill, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm just thinking, I don't want all that blood all over me. Now, neighbor love is messy. This man comes by, and there's a man who's been beaten and left half dead. You've got to get the image in your mind, okay? This guy, it's not a pretty sight. And look what this neighbor does he went to him, he bound up his wounds. Now possibly that's why a priest and a Levite were unwilling to mess with it. There's a lot of speculation about why they weren't willing to mess with it because, you know, blood is an unclean thing. So that's a, that's a speculation of why these priests and Levite go, I would like to help you, man, but I just can't get unclean right now. I'm on my way to do my God thing. But the Samaritan is like, you know, I know what, this is messy. but He needs, he needs me. Neighbor love is messy and sometimes you got to get into somebody's mess to show them Jesus loves them. Look at what else he does. He pours on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. He set him on his own animal. Do you do you notice that Jesus makes that specific like he didn't have two animals. He had one. So what did that mean he had to do? He had to get off, put him on his own animal. And the Samaritan walks the rest of the way while this man enjoys the comforts of riding on an animal. So neighbor love is costly. Neighbor love is costly. God has entrusted to us resources and they're not just meant for us to indulge ourselves. They're not just meant, these luxuries are not just meant for us to go, I think I'd like a fill in the blank, let me get it for me. The resources we've been given. An animal, a car, a house. uh, These things are meant to express and show neighbor kind of love to our world. And are we living that way? That's why I I really don't have any problem asking you to be generous to, to the Lord. Because that's why God's given you stuff. That's why He's given me stuff. is so that we show Him He's worth it. And the stuff He's given me is not for me mainly. It's for his mission. So, neighbor love is costly. He pours out his oil. He pours out his own wine. Now, what are, what's that about? Well, it's about purity and it's about pain. He's alleviating this man's pain and he's trying to purify his wounds. This man is, this Samaritan is like getting in his problem and helping, genuinely helping with the problem at cost to himself. What's the next thing I notice? We look on down. Check this out. He set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. Look at the next sentence. And the next day, whoa, wait a minute. Neighbor love is inconvenient. Neighbor love is inconvenient. This guy was on a journey. He had somewhere to be, right? So do you. So do I. Like when I'm going and and I see a need, sometimes I'm just being real. I evaluate and go, do I really have the time? The older I get, the more I learn that time is my most precious commodity. Anybody agree? Like I can throw a few dollars at a need. But give you a couple of hours? I don't I don't know. The next day. Are we following what Jesus is telling us here? This man spent the whole night caring for this dude. Neighbor love is incredibly inconvenient. We want it to be convenient. Let me block out some time. I'll go do a serve project on a Saturday. And I'm not knocking on that. I'm saying that's an entry point to teach ourselves how to love others. It's an entry point. But what God wants to do is put people in your path that you didn't choose to love. That's one of the main points of this text, is that loving your neighbor isn't necessarily loving your family or those people who um, you run with. They're easy to love. These people are the people God throws into your path. They're not easy to love. It's not convenient to serve their needs. Because of Christ, we see these kinds of things as divine interruptions. Neighbor love is inconvenient. And then lastly here, I want you to see this because this one floors me. As I read through this, y'all, and this was the point. Remember, Jesus is exposing how we are not living up to the law. All he had to do was tell a story and and describe a man who's loving his neighbor well. For me to look at the story and go, I don't love my neighbor like that. What he's showing me is I don't love my neighbor as myself. That's his point, remember? What must I do to to inherit eternal life? Well, you really want to know? Let me paint a picture for you. Look at what he does next. So he took him to an inn. He stayed the night with him. He took good care of him. And then he, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He handed him his visa. Said, I'll be back. Just swipe it as you need it. What? Neighbor love is risky. You can't always determine the level of investment when you say, I think I'm going to step into this. You can't always go, Do I actually have what I need to have to make sure this brother's taken care of? It's, there's a risk involved. And this Samaritan says, I'm going to own the risk even though I don't even know what it is. I'm going to give you enough money to pay for him to stay here and then I'm going to give you my credit card. Whatever you spend to take good care of this brother, I'm going to cover it. Neighbor love, like Jesus talks about, is messy, it's costly, it's inconvenient, and it is so risky. It's risky. I I found this to be interesting. Maybe you will. I think I have time to share with you. Um... A denarii is about a day's wage. The inn that's mentioned here in the Scriptures is actually a hostel. So if you've ever stayed in a, in a place in the world where they have hostels, I don't, I don't know of very many here in the States, but a hostel is not like a hotel. A, ho- a hotel, you know, costs you about a day's wage to stay there. About a hundred bucks or more, you know, give or take. A hostel is much different. It's kind of communal staying. The bathroom's like down the hall. You stay in a room with, full of like little twin beds. And you, you divvy it out. And it costs you much, much less. I've stayed in a bunch of them. Um, and for instance, in, in Asia, when I was doing work there, I, I stayed in hostels all the time. And it would literally cost about $3 a night. That's what it cost. I did some research on this right here. And a denarii, This I found it interesting. Um, a denarii is actually one, um, well, I'm sorry. The cost of a hostel is one thirty-second of a denarii. So here's, here's a crazy cool thing. He paid up front for this brother to stay two months. I didn't know that until this week. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Up front, he paid for him to be, to be lodged for two months. It's wild. Once again, it's costly, right? It's risky. It's inconvenient. It's messy. Are we, are we loving like that? I'm going to tell you. I'm not. I want to. I'm not. So the question that this man asked is who is my neighbor? That's number four on your outline. Who is my neighbor? And this question, the man asked it, his intended purpose for asking this question is to narrow the scope of the law, right? Can we agree? He wanted to justify himself. So he's like, um, Jesus, tell me, um, who exactly am I supposed to love? Because you know, if you can quantify, quantify it for me, then I think I'm, I might could I might do it. And then Jesus tells a story, painting a picture of a, of a guy who just comes across a man in need who um, ethnically, racially, all kinds of things are, are built into this story that, that say, um, who is your neighbor? The law doesn't limit the scope, it blows it out of the water. It's not just the people you think you relate to. It's not just the people that you want to serve and want to love, like your family, and those close to you, maybe those people across the street that you love and you want to be in in communion with them. It's not just those neighbors. It's whomever God puts in your path. Whomever God allows you to see and feel compassion for, He intends for you to step into their mess. Starting point is, who do you see? The law, the aim of the law, and at least in this guy's mind, was to exclude some folks. Uh, can you just narrow the scope a little bit? Let's exclude some people. But love, the aim of love, is to include. And that's what Jesus is saying. Is whoever, whoever I put in your path, I, I want you to love with neighbor love. Messy, costly, inconvenient, risky, at least these things. Whoever I put in your path, So I told you there are two layers to this teaching and and here they are. The first one is he gives us a model, an example, the Samaritan who models for us what neighbor love looks like. But the second one is most important and it's this. Jesus is the better neighbor. He is the better neighbor. You and I were beaten And robbed and left for dead. And Jesus had compassion on us. Jesus didn't just get off His horse. He left His throne in glory. Came to where you were. Bound up your wounds. Poured His oil and His wine to purify and cover your pain. Jesus put you up. Paid for your stay. Paid with His blood. For you to be made new, made whole. And he says, I'm going to come back for you. Jesus is the better neighbor. And this story is meant to paint for us an example of how we ought to live. But primarily, it's pointing to Christ. And so what I want to tell you today is to look to Christ. Look to Christ. Three, Three things. Look to Jesus as the better neighbor. Thank him for his mercy and his grace. You can love people well by pointing to Christ as the only hope. We can never live up to the law. But Jesus did. He didn't just do away with the law. He fulfilled it perfectly. Then he died to pay for your healing, your restoration. He died on the cross, rose from the dead. And if you put your faith in him, you'll be made whole. You'll be healed. We can't earn an inheritance. Did anybody notice the irony of his question even? What must I do to inherit? Do you do anything to have an inheritance? No, you've got to be grafted into a family. You're either born in or adopted in. And then you have an inheritance. You don't do anything to get it. You're adopted into the family of God. By the grace of Jesus Christ. So surrender to Christ. Put your hope in Him. Number two, look to Jesus to enable your love of neighbor. The commands of the kingdom, even these commands built into the story of the Good Samaritan, they're crippling. This lawyer, I don't think, went away encouraged in his ability to obey I think he went away feeling the burden of his need. He went away thinking he could justify himself and Jesus made sure he knew he cannot. The point of the law is not to make you right, it's to expose your need for the one who is right. But the commands of the kingdom, while they're crippling for the unbeliever, Christ in you enables your obedience. I can't say this enough. The Spirit of God enables all that He commands. You know where we see that most accurately portrayed in Scripture? The miracles of Jesus. When Jesus said to the lame man or the paralyzed man, He said, I, I forgive your sins. And they're like, No one can forgive sins but God. And Jesus said, well, just to show you that I can forgive sins, I'll do something you think is impossible. Hey, paralyzed man, stand up, take up your bed and walk home. Jesus gave a command and the Spirit enabled obedience. So here's the beauty for believers. While the law is crippling to an unbeliever, the Spirit of God enables our obedience As believers, if he can speak to a paralyzed man and enable him to walk, then he can speak to me, who's not good at loving neighbor, and he can say, Love your neighbor. And the Spirit of God in me can go, All right, all right, I'm going to submit to Jesus, and I'm going to love him more than these resources. I'm going to spend them on that need for neighbor. The Spirit of God can work that in you. let look to jesus to enable your love for neighbor and lastly look to jesus for the model for loving god and loving neighbor he does it best jesus didn't pass by you in your point of need he stopped he met you where you were and he loved you well he gave not just of his resources but all of himself He took on incredible risk. And I don't mean the word risk in terms of he didn't know the outcome. Of course he knew the outcome. But from our perspective, we look at what he did. And he's very risky in the way he loves. So some of you hearing this message today have yet to put your faith in Christ. He's ready to meet you in your need. He's ready right now to, to get down and get into your mess. And I just want to encourage you: put your life in his hands. He's the better neighbor. Some of us in the room, we're struggling with following Christ um, in loving our neighbors. We're struggling because we love ourselves more than we love our neighbor. And the command of God is to love your neighbor as yourself. So let's look to Christ. Trust Him that He will help us to be risky. Help us to be messy. Help us to be and embrace inconvenience and to embrace the cost of loving people well. When you see a need, let the Spirit of God tell you what to do. And it's not always going to be the same thing. So we can't just write a formula. Well, when I see this, this is what I'm going to do. No, you've got to listen. You've got to listen to the Spirit. Hear and do. Remember James said, let's not be hearers of the Word only, but doers. So I want to encourage you in these two ways. If you've not trusted Christ, trust Him today. If you're a follower of Jesus and you read this story of this crazy kind of sideways love, let's just pray together, you and I, that God would help us, that He would enable us to obey and to love neighbor, and ultimately through that, to love Him.